It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Good morning, it is JP in for Patricia who is ill at the moment but hopefully all going well will be back with us on a Monday but we're with you until then and it's Bernie taking your calls and comments across the show if there's something you want to raise or something you wish to discuss what we are discussing uh, call Bernie on 0818 103 103 you can text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 ahead on the programme this morning very shortly we'll be hearing about the, the shock announcement I suppose many uh, thought yesterday of the co-leaders of the Social Democrats stepping down. Also, changes to planning, which could mean decisions taken centrally in Dublin, uh, with local councillors no longer having a say in Cork. Planning matters. We're going to discuss the impact this may have. And also, following freedom of information figures obtained yesterday, uh, they show how people have waited up to six hours for an ambulance here in Cork. We're going to speak with David Hall of Lifeline Ambulance Service. And yesterday on the show, we spoke with Nilo Sullivan of O'Sullivan's Late Night Pharmacy and we were discussing the medication shortages that we are facing at the moment here in Ireland and indeed in many parts of Europe but now pharmacies say that they can reduce the A&E backlog if they were allowed to offer more services like a lot of pharmacies do in many parts of the UK. Sheena Mitchell is a pharmacist we spoke with before she's also a blogger we'll speak with her later in the programme and if you knit will you be interested in this one and getting involved with the Galway Blanket Club. It's a very interesting story on how the Galway sheep was to become extinct and what has been done to prevent this and it involves a cork company. We'll hear more about that later and unfortunately our vet Jane not available to us today. Uh, So instead we're going to hear about a miracle turtle who made its way from Florida to the Irish coastline. More on that later after 12.30 and we'll also hear from the residents of Summerhill North and indeed the Ballyhooley Road on the city north side. They're not happy. They held a protest yesterday and this is how they could lose their parking spaces and the roads they live. They're going to expand them. Uh, two lanes becoming three lanes. It's something we've seen uh, being spoken about on the south side of Cork City but you would have heard a lot of this over the last few years out of Dublin as well and we'll hear more from 
that protest held yesterday. So that and more between now and one. And of course, lines open. Your comments are welcome. 0818 103 103. Text or indeed WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. But the co-leaders of the Social Democrats, they are stepping aside and they are Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shorthold. The announcement made yesterday afternoon and it looks like today a meeting will be held to decide the next steps now uh, for leadership for the Social Democrats. Well, uh, Adam Higgins is the political correspondent with the Irish Sun and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Adam. Good morning, JP. Yeah, this came uh, as a bit of a, a bolt from the blue or, or a bolt from the purple is probably more on brand for the Social Democrats. Uh, it really caught a lot of people in Leinster House off guard yesterday when this dropped in. Yeah, a shock to many. And I mean, they have themselves as a party made huge leads in a short amount of time. I mean, if you look at other new parties that were set up over the years, uh, many would say they were not as successful as the Social Democrats. And that was all down to the leadership from both Roisin and Catherine. Yeah, I would agree. And I think if you look from when they started in 2015 to TDs that one leaving the Labour Party, one as an independent, and they've grown that now to six TDs in Leinster House and 19 councillors, and things are in a good shape for the Social Democrats at the moment. There was a lot of speculation when this announcement uh, was made that are they being pushed out? Is it because of poll results? And really, they, the two leaders put all of that sort of speculation to bed yesterday when they said they they just wanted to leave on their own terms. They wanted to hand the reins over to a, a new generation of leader who could bring the party on to the next step. And they also both said that they will be running in the next election. That's their plan and that they're not leaving politics. They just want to give the party the best opportunity to grow under a new generation of leadership. And looking at leadership, there's a a good candidates already being mentioned. I mean, one of those is Cork South West deputy here. It's Holly Carnes. I mean, she was running, did run in the last election here and shocked many in the way that Fine Gael, who would have been a stronghold in Cork South West, they lost their seat. Uh, Social Democrats gained a seat in Cork South West. So, you know, they could see this happening in the future. Parties like this taking seats from major parties. And also in there, you have the likes of Jennifer Whitmore, you have Keno Callaghan. So any indications on who could become the next leader or perhaps joint leaders? Uh, Gary Gannon seemingly in some interviews has ruled himself out. Yeah, so I'd say Holly Kearns in Cork is probably the the clear front runner at the moment. There is reports today that Gary Gannon is is what wants to support uh, Holly's run for the leadership. Now, both Jennifer Whitmore and Keno Callan have done uh, radio interviews in the past uh, few hours and said that they're not ruling themselves in or out. So there is still, there could still be a race on the cards here. So what happened is the national executive of the party meets today. They'll decide the nomination process, which will take just over a week when when nominees can come forward and put their name forward and if there is a contested if two candidates are going for it there'll be an election race and we'll we'll have a bit of fun with that and you're right to point out the the two co-leaders again because Roisin Shorthall and Catherine Murphy were both asked yesterday do they think that the next leadership of the party will be two co-leaders in the same way that they've brought the party forward and both of them didn't rule it out. And in all of their answers, they said the next leader or leaders. So that's definitely still on the cards. And, and it seems to have worked for those. I mean, you can literally, what other party can be in two places at once? 
Yeah, true. It has worked. And many of the Social Democrats councillors speaking over the last 24 hours also indicate that, that they would like to see, if possible, uh, both two leaders involved in the new arrangements, uh, be that two females or a male or female. We'll have to wait and see what happens. And a lot of talk over the last year or so, and again, because of this yesterday, uh, that the Social Democrats, could they merge with Labour? Yeah, this was a kind of funny moment at the press conference in Buswell's hotel yesterday when this came up because this seems to come up quite a lot for the Social Democrats because their political uh, you know, opinions and, and policies are quite close to the Labour Party and obviously both uh, Catherine and Roisin Shortall have histories with the Labour Party as well. But when this was answered, Catherine Murphy kind of rolled her, her eyes to the to the ceiling and said, will you please stop asking us this question? That They don't want to do this. This is not something that's on the cards. And they said that what they believe voters should have is more choice, not less choice when it comes to the polls. So I don't think we a merger is on the cards. Even if there is a new leader, I'd imagine that they, the, all the TDs would be sticking to that line. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. As you said, if there is a contest, it'll run over the next two weeks because they want to wrap this up fairly fast, it would seem. They do indeed, yeah. So that nomination process will be in the, over the next two weeks. Now, if, as some reports have said, if Holly Kearns runs uncontested, she'll be the new leader within the next two weeks. But if someone goes up against her and there's an election contest, then it would take a little bit longer. It will have a, a few weeks of, I'd imagine, the, the candidates travelling the country doing little hustings and things like that. And the situation is that it's it's one member, one vote. So we know in other parties like Fine Gael, the, the parliamentary party members get a bit more weight to their votes. But that's not the situation here. It's one member, one vote. So everybody at the party will have their say. We'll, we'll wait and see what happens for the moment, Adam. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning on the programme. That is Adam Higgins, who is politically correspondent with the Irish Sun on changes within the Social Democrats. We did reach out, by the way, to Holly Carnes this morning and indeed yesterday. And Holly is taking time out to decide and speak with her own local uh, representatives here in Cork and indeed her own family and friends on what she will do going forward. And we hope to speak with her uh, over the next number of days on the programme while she takes time out to decide where she wants to go with all the, the, the happenings at the moment as you heard within Social Democrats and staying with politics the Irish Times Ispos poll that is out this morning that is showing where Sinn Féin remains the most popular party but also support for the Greens increase that opinion poll out this morning and good news something we discussed a lot over the last number of years and two years at this stage but a lot over 2022 this was for those of you who are on the train and who travel from Cork to Dublin well Irish Rail, yesterday afternoon, they have confirmed now that in catering uh, that has been missing, I suppose, for a while on the train due to the pandemic, that is returning from April. Uh, Aaron O'Dearon was working on this, they say, for the last number of months. They put out a tender for its services. At one stage, they were going to install vending machines in tandem with other catering options. But now uh, it has been confirmed that they will have a trolley service and they will be rolled out on selected services, but on the Cork to Dublin route from early April. So if you missed a cup of tea or a cup of coffee on the train, good news there, it will return. And shortly we will be discussing the issue of waiting times when it comes to ambulances. And one example here, and this is from Mikey in Nocknahini, who says two weeks ago he had a fall and he pressed his panic button. Uh, and then the ambulance did come, but it came from McCroom. And he had to wait two hours and 20 minutes for the ambulance to arrive to him. And when they arrived, they realised that he had three broken ribs. So that explains the pain he was in. But in that pain for over two hours while he waited for the ambulance, 
ambulance, uh, which in the end came from McCroom uh, to Nochnihini. Thank you, Mikey, and I get well soon to you there. Uh, any examples you have as well of people who have been waiting for an ambulance over the last number of years at this stage? And we have heard of this from various areas of Cork, whereby uh, they ring for an ambulance. It can, in fairness, and isn't the, the ambulance service's fault, but an ambulance can come fairly fast. Or you have a situation where you were waiting like Mikey was for over an hour, over two hours. We have heard from paramedics who have to wait in CUH until a patient has physically got into the hospital and admitted before they can go about their job again. But because they're then in the city, they find themselves responding to calls in the city or suburbs area and not getting back to where they should be. And we've also heard from people living in Beira, whereby they've got an ambulance and the ambulance many times when they have rung for one, it is coming either from Kinmare or elsewhere or is not in the area and it's outside Tralee General Hospital. So uh, uh, the ambulance service being stretched and being pulled for left and right. Anyhow, we'll discuss that before 11 o'clock. Your views are welcome. 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. But changes to planning, it could mean decisions that were usually taken here in Cork will now be taken in Dublin and local councillors will no longer have a say with regards to planning matters within Cork City and indeed Cork County. Discussing that next. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. The government is not giving enough time for consideration of its new planning bill. This is according to the Association of Irish Local Government, which represents councillors right across the country. And one of those councillors is Councillor Bernard Moynihan, who joins me in studio this morning. Good morning to you, Bernard. Good morning. Good morning, John Paul. These changes will mean that councillors will no longer have a say or play a role with any local planning decisions. So when someone sees a sign going up in their area for Cork County Council and they may want to inquire about it or feel it may impact the community... Well, you can still discuss it with them. You can't go to anybody in County Hall and get more information. It will become a centralised service out of Dublin, I would presume. Absolutely. And I, I, just, John Paul, thank you and good morning to your listeners. I'm totally against this whole proposal. Anything that becomes Dublin-centred is not good for the people of Duhallow. It's not good for the people of Cork. We have, we're the largest local authority in the country. We're the largest land base in the country. We're the largest road base in the country. And taking the planning issues out of Cork and out of Cork County Council and Cork City Council is a very poor move. I've seen the damage done by Irish Water. When Irish Water became nationalised and was taken away from the county councils, we now have the problem like Castle Magnor, where we can't get a sewage treatment plant built in Castle Magnor. So therefore, <coughs> I think there should be more consultation, more discussion and more uh, uh, reflection on this matter because... <coughs> excuse me. Anything, any way to take, you know, the whole idea is to take the power away from councils, take away the power away from councillors. We have little enough power at the moment. We haven't any say in planning decisions in County Hall, really, but we can make submissions. We can talk to the planners. We can try and support rural Ireland. We have the situation across Duhallow at the moment where houses are being built, where they're being built near farms, near businesses. People need to build houses. If, it, if, if a decision of Cork County Council to grant a planning application to a family who want to live near elderly parents or keep keep their kids in the local school, if that's objected to, to on board Panala currently, every single situation that I have dealt with where an objection went in, it was it was carried by on board Panala. 
so I can give you to show you decisions in Newmarket in Knocknagree decisions that were made to allow people to build houses in rural Ireland this was objected to on, to on board Panala based in Dublin and was uh, voted down and many would say in the past councillors may have got involved in planning decisions when they should not have. So some feel a system like this would be more fairer going into the future. What would you say to that, considering we have seen some councillors, not here in Cork, but elsewhere, who got involved with certain planning decisions? And maybe that's why this new planning bill is coming to fruition. Uh, I, I wouldn't agree with that at all, because we don't have any role really in planning. Uh, it's the planning office in Cork County Council make the decisions. We have experienced, qualified, professional planners who are hugely competent in Cork County Council who are well able to carry out this work. The problem is, I'm, I'm, uh, my concern is, anything that goes into Dublin, it becomes less uh, understanding of the of the of the, the, the requirements of say places like Duhallow or North Cork or West Cork. We need to keep things local. We saw what happened with the HSE when they created the, the whole authority for the what happened there. The HSE is out of control at the moment. It was better off when it was run locally by the by the health boards and so forth. We see what happens now with Irish Water. This is a further example of this. I'm not asking. I think there are good things in this in this in this in this bill because it allows say large scale development to go ahead and see. It is we need houses. There is a huge demand out there for houses. People, my phone is hopping constantly, people looking for houses, people facing evictions, people facing homelessness. So we need houses. So we need planning decisions <coughs> to happen quickly. And, and do you feel that when you mentioned there those who want to live locally near their parents or grandparents and it would be maybe a one-off house built on their own land, uh, is that going to change? Because we have heard from county development plans, if there's a housing estate nearby, that is something they do not want. They don't want a one-off house on a roadside when there's a housing development just down the road. Do you feel this new planning bill will strengthen that cause? Absolutely. You look at the planning authority for county meet now at the moment. I'm on... Um, the local authority members association. I represent Cork County Council in a in a, in a twenty six county uh, body. But like in County Meath at the moment now to build to one one half house, they're suggesting that you need fifteen acres. And how do you get fifteen acres in County Meath? The same. What I'm trying to say in rural communities like Knocknagree, Rock Chapel, uh, Dromina. You need people to sustain the local school. You need people to sustain the local football team to keep the shops in business, the pub in business, the local hardware store. This is all about the vibrancy of rural Ireland, the vibrancy of, of a rural economy. And we saw what happened in 20 years ago, 15 years ago, the decisions of, of the national uh, strategy decisions were to push people into towns and housing estates, squash them in together without any services, any creches, any playgrounds, anything like that. Just build the houses, not any auxiliary services. You take a place like Knock Degree, they've got a GA pitch, they've got the playground, they've got the whole lot and the, t the services are there for the community. They've got a national school and therefore we need to sustain our, 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 our rural communities. We need to build our rural communities and enhance them. And every kind of anything that I can do as a local member until 2024, hopefully I'll be re-elected. But the bottom line is anything that we can do and stand up for our rural economies. I listen to parties across the board in Cork County Hall and we want to, uh, I, I, the whole idea is to sustain local communities. A local community is, is, is a group where you have the church, the school, the pharmacy, all that working off together, feeding into the school, the shop, the local GA pitch. Uh, uh, activities like Christmas and all that kind of stuff in a community is very, very important. And to make communities vibrant, 
We need young people. There's a survey done recently, we were presented recently in Cork County Council. Areas like Duhalla have got a very ageing population. We've got a population which is very ageing. A lot of people over 60, over 65, over 70, and a lot of the young people are not being replaced in our communities. So therefore, we need planning decisions. We need planning decisions that allow people to live in rural Ireland, grow in rural Ireland, prosper in rural Ireland, grow their families in rural Ireland. Therefore, I'm against... I'm very, very concerned, and I really am concerned as a public representative, that if Dublin get a hold of decisions, it would be detrimental to rural Ireland. And the example you give there of Knocknagree, this was where a housing estate was going to be. Was it built three miles from the village itself, but there was a requirement for footpaths and public lighting uh, three miles out of the village? Is that the one? Exactly, John Paul. A decision was made by Cork County Council to grant planning permission to build a house. That decision of Cork County Council, an objection was sent in to On Board Planala. On Board Planala, this can all be got online, issued a decision saying that the housing, the house three miles from Knocknagree could not go ahead because it did not have footpaths and public lighting. And was this one house? One house. One off housing? One off housing, yes. So you can see the example, if you're, if you're going to put in lighting and footpath for one house, you, you simply just could not build Absolutely. any house. But then if you go back to a situation within Cork County Council where housing has been granted and planning permission has been granted for housing estates, not even three miles outside of town, maybe a mile or less, whereby they have been constructed, but the footpath and lighting was never completed. So there's a kind of a contradiction there to what they're saying for, for one-off housing they want it, but then they've let the bigger housing estates be, be built with no footpaths going to them Absolutely. and no public lighting. You have people walking in the middle of a rural road, you know, at 11 o'clock at night in the dark with nothing. Absolutely. Like we look, as this morning, the Gables in, in Dromina is coming in for being taken in charge by Cork County Council. Like the, we need to sustain, we need to put the infrastructure into rural Ireland. We need to put the, the facilities like footpaths public lighting and all those things. If you're building a housing estate, there needs to be uh, facilities like creches, schools, uh, you know, uh, people facilities for working parents and so forth. But right now, you know, all those facilities we take, you know, there's creches, there's a creche in Nocturne, creche in Boherbuy, there's one in the market. We need to look at the services that are available in rural Ireland, those services available, those schools need the numbers, the shops need the businesses to survive, the hardware store, and we need to allow people to build and sustain. Now, I'm not saying there's going to be rampant development in rural Ireland, but where there's a valid reason a farmer wants to build a house on his farm or near his business, or a, a, a family wants to be moved back to be near elderly parents to help them in their old age. That makes sense because the, the parents might help with the with rearing the kids and so forth, and they can help their, their parents into old age. That saves money with regard to healthcare and nursing homes and, and hospitals and all that because they are able to mind their parents into old age. We need to have all this from the cradle to the grave. We need to look at building sustainable communities from the cradle to the grave, managing them from there, you know, for, and people are living older now and they need their kids next door to them or relatives or whatever. And if that decision, if that, if somebody wants to build a house near elderly parents so they can help them into their old age, that should be allowed in my in my view. Whereas and if, and if, over the years we would have seen people leaving rural areas moving to the cities, but now the cities are too expensive. So many are going to want to live where they came from so they can actually build a home and maybe raise a family. Uh, just before I let you go, Bernard, an interesting point you raised there on Irish water and a lot of people are picking um, up on that on text and indeed on WhatsApp. Uh, many people have tried themselves to contact Irish water. They find it tough. I 
know we've spoken to so many councillors over the last year in particular whereby they're frustrated they cannot get answers on various water treatments and you feel if the planning goes the way it will it will be the same for you trying to get onto a central service in Dublin. I mean Castle Magner is a good example there. Uh, why do you think it's let continue that Irish Water don't engage with councillors? You're looking for a meeting now again regarding Castle Magner. I am constantly looking for meetings with regard to Castle Magnor. I've been on to Irish Water this week and they haven't come back to me. I've been on to Irish Water several and several times with regard to Castle Magnor and they haven't come back to me. They just ignore me. And but how come they can ignore someone who's been elected by the public to represent them on Cork County Council? Cork County Council is the local authority and you're not the only councillor we've spoken to. We've spoken to so many others who have said the same thing. And I think as a collective group in County Hall, all of you have tried to meet them. Have you ever sat down and met with Irish Water? Never. In I'm the last number of years, I'm no one has sat down. I've elected since 2014. The good people of Cantorca have sent me up to County Hall since 2014. I've never had a sit-down meeting with Irish Water on any issue, bar maybe possibly a small meeting with regard to Betty Desmond. We got a, a, new, a new water scheme in Betty Desmond. But the, it's not about me. The point is about the people of Castle Magnor. Mm. The point is that there is land zoned in Castle Magnor for maybe 100, 150 houses. There is planning, there are sites available in Castle Magnor for another 12 or 14 houses, which can be built on straight away. The government have put money in place to put a new wastewater treatment plant in position in Castle Magnor. The, 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 the local authority, our local authority, Cork County Council, and I want to take this opportunity to pay absolute respect and thanks to our staff in Cork County Council because we have brilliant people working in County Hall for the people of Cork. We have done everything possible to progress the scheme in Castle Magnor, but it's after meeting a logjam with Irish Water. We're at stage one. We can get to stage two. And the, the, the reality there, John Paul, is that there's, there's land there, there's, there's people want to live in Castle Magnor, there's a GA picture school, the rest, the creche, the whole lot, is all there. And we're now trying to get the wastewater treatment into Castle Magnor, which will enable the houses to be built. We see what's happening in Boherby. They're putting in a new wastewater treatment plant in Boherby. There's, there's plans for 30 or 40 extra houses now in Boherby. You can't build houses without a proper, effective wastewater treatment plant because we're close to the black water. It's the, one of the six most protected rivers in Europe. The black water is incredibly protected because of the waste of, of the peril muscle. Mm. So therefore anything that's built close to the Castle Magnor, you need all sorts of natural impact statements and all sorts of things. But we, we need this is crucial for Castle Magnor, which is close to Mallow. There's a huge demand now at remote working, people working flexible hours, people working from home, the blended working situation where they can work at home two days, maybe work in the office three days. And that is that can happen, and we we really need this is an opportunity to be grasped. I spoke to to, to Irish Water yesterday because I was preparing for this interview today, and I spoke to Irish Water. I spoke to somebody in Irish Water, not a pro, you know, just got a, a kind of a, a, gener a generic answer. Actually, it was Michael, my brother, got it in Dublin, and he passed it on to me last night. And the bottom line is that it's 2028. Is they're looking now at the project in Castle Magnor for 2028. Even though the money has been given the from government. The money is in position by the department. So you can see why you're worried about the future of the planning bill if that is the way that Irish Water and I know you say it's it's not about the councillors but ultimately I suppose in a way it is because you're representing the people so if you can't get the answers there's not much hope for uh, those on the ground. Very finally just sticking with Irish Water. Uh, this is a WhatsApp in from the residents of Holy Cross Place in Charnival. Uh, they tell us this morning they're getting no chance to sleep at night and this is because of noise level with big strong powerful floodlights as well uh, shining onto their homes. It's due to work 
Irish water is carried out. Now they have noise during the day uh, from the working bush. They have these big lights shining in at night time and some noise as well overnight. Now the residents have tried to contact Irish Water but no luck. Uh, they've got no, uh, from Irish Water they've got no uh, results back from them, no answers back from them. Uh, they've emailed nothing back. Uh, that's what the residents of Holy Cross are saying. Maybe you can look into that for those in Charleville. I'd pass that on to my good friend and colleague Ian Doyle who represents Charleville. Yeah. Councillor Ian Doyle is a very effective representative for Charleville and I don't, he deals with Charleville. Well we'll uh, pass it on to Ian and see if he can sort that out there for the residents in Charleville. For the moment, we'll wait and see what happens with this planning bill. Uh, but thanks for joining us in studio, Councillor Bernard Moynihan. Thank you. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Drive time. With Martina O'Donoghue. On C103. C103. Join me every weekday from four and I'll get you home with Cork's greatest hits and lots more. And lots more. Choose our feel-good song of the day and we'll brighten up your journey with our feel-good story. Feel-good story. And we'll keep you moving with the very latest traffic info and local news for Cork. Drive time. Weekdays from four. With the Viaduct Restaurant, Cafe and Market now open. Cork's newest foodie destination located just outside the city. See theviaduct.ie. C103. Tams 3 Investment Boost for Farmers. For more in your Farmer's Journal, here's Paul Mooney. From cattle fencing to cabin cameras, we reveal 50 new items eligible for grant aid. Find out how you can secure up to 60% funding for many items. Solar panels for your house and sheds. Increased grants for sheep and suckler farmers. Money for bale splitters, tillage and slurry equipment. And a new package of grants for farmers with horses. Plus, don't miss your free 24-page kids newspaper inside this week's Irish Farmer's Journal on sale now. If you're having trouble paying your energy bills, keep listening. But more importantly, keep talking. Because your energy supplier won't disconnect you as long as you engage with them. If you're facing difficulty paying your energy bills, suppliers have to offer you repayment options. Talk to your supplier or find out more at cru.ie. Here to shed light on your energy rights. Brought to you by the Commission for Regulation of Utilities. We all know a great night's sleep is vital for our well-being. We spend one third of our lives in bed, so a good mattress is crucial. Swan Beds recommends for a better night's sleep, replacing your mattress every eight years. A better sleep means a better you. Replace every eight at Swan Beds, Cork's only exclusive bed store, because your sleep is important to us. Shh, it's a Swan Bed. 2023 is already turning out to be an electric year for Hyundai. Why? Because Hyundai is the best-selling electric car brand in January 2023. And the Ionic 5 is now officially Ireland's best-selling electric car. Make 2023 the year you make the change to fully electric driving. Call to Kiri's Hyundai, Cork, Mallow and Middleton. Or visit kiri's.ie forward slash Hyundai. Barry and Byrne Kitchens are dedicated to designing and producing stylish, top-quality kitchens. Choose a kitchen from a reliable local service who'll take your idea and make it a reality, all while giving you excellent value for money. Book your free kitchen design consultation today and start your kitchen journey. Book online at barryandburnkitchens.ie or call to the showroom at North Point Business Park, Blackpool. Barry and Byrne Kitchens, the home of quality kitchens.
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103103. It took almost six hours for an ambulance to arrive at an emergency call in Cork last year. In 233 cases across the country, the response time was over three hours. David Hall is the Chief Executive of Lifeline Ambulance Service and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, David. Good morning, JP. Uh, These figures, for some of our listeners, not surprised given their experiences trying and to get an ambulance, first of all, and then their experience with the health service over the last two to three years. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the numbers are quite shocking for many. And and again, this is not a sort of delivery service we're talking about for fast food. This is for humans, for real life and real emergencies. And also it's very important to say this is not Auntie Mary ringing up, categorising herself as an emergency. These are trained professionals within the National Ambulance Service who have determined, based on the information they've taken over the phone, that these are emergency cases and are categorised as such. So I think it's it's an abject failure. Um, I think in the context of the health service, it's, it's a concern that many people will have. It's a repeated issue that's been ongoing for the last number of years and one that doesn't seem to be able to uh, grasped by the Ammon Service. Now, to be fair, I think the Ammon Service and the staff that uh, I would have in my own company and indeed in other, other Ammon Services, both private and public and including the National Ammon Service, probably are, without exaggeration, the best in the world for a whole host of reasons. And I think de- uh, COVID demonstrated the agility and their ability and their compassion to deal with patients as they do and have done every day since and before COVID. But ultimately, it's a mathematical exercise, JP. If you have a service that's structured and established, for 4 million people, not just the ambulance service, but also the health service, you add a million people on and you change nothing else. I don't think anyone needs to be a mathematical statistician to work out what happens next. And what we're seeing now is a direct fallout from that. With backlogs in the emergency departments, ambulances being held up and simply not enough vehicles or staff. And while we still have that problem and it persists and doesn't seem to go away, we have these Oireachtas Health Committee meetings whereby the National Service Directors of the Ambulance Service will be brought in and these meetings go on and on. But does anything actually come out of these meetings that will assist with the staff who are actually working on the ground in the Ambulance Service? No, I think there's been multiple reports that have been published and indeed some have been published and not released. And I think one of the bones of contention that arose at the Health Committee meeting yesterday was that one of the particular reports that has been published a number of years ago has not been released. And you always wonder when someone commissions a report and gets the report and then doesn't release the report, it mustn't be easy reading. Um, but look, my own personal view is in some of the Health Committee um, meetings that have been ongoing for the last decade are a waste of time and I think nothing has changed and the fact that yesterday's FOI information that was released categorically confirms that when you're waiting 94 individual cases above 4 hours um, 21 above 5 hours and a couple of hundred below that above 1 and 2 and 3 hours so in the overall context of the number of emergency calls in the country it is important JP to say that you know the vast majority of calls are received uh, and dispatched and arrive on time and I think that's important to recognise I don't want to be appearing to be the, the sole bearer of bad news to be bashing the National Ambulance Service who do by the by an excellent job however it's time to have a little look at a bit of a shake up now and have a look at changing a few things. Why is it that uh, the paramedic course that we currently do in Ireland is much longer than any other jurisdiction in the world? Why in major cities in the in the country do we bring in five-tonne vehicles, the largest ambulance you can humanly buy, to travel around streets where smaller vehicles in the UK and others are using them that uh, comply with all the various regulatory requirements? So there's a lot of questions need answering. We do have a simple mathematical problem. We have five million people in the country where we're used to a service and a system and structure that appears to be 
not even fit for purpose for four million and the knock-on effects of the emergency departments and ambulances being delayed you know is going to cause great just frustration to the public uh, unfortunately will cause harm and in extreme circumstances cause death and hicwa need to have a look at the clinical uh, outcomes of those cases that were delayed to see was there any adverse effect just because someone was left waiting to be fair doesn't necessarily mean there was an adverse effect but it's not good enough and you mentioned there about the population which is growing here in Ireland and we've spoken to paramedics then who often outline to us David and you'll be well aware of this I'm sure that if they travel from various areas of the county into our city A&E hospitals they must wait for the patient to be more or less admitted before they can leave but sometimes then what happens another call will come in and they can find themselves going to a city suburb and not getting back to the area of the county they should be serving. Yeah, and that's a common factor. And again, it's back to resources. Like the ambulance service has been the poor cousin of the health service uh, for many decades now. And the ambulance staff have been treated uh, in, in an appalling way. While they have the public support and, and um, public support, the ambulance service is actually a very low paid job. Um, I think that's very, very important to remember that all in all, it's been a low paid job. And while people will have bits and pops about overtime and a few other little digs at, at, at admin staff and national admin staff, and many of us will have those little digs around um, those things. But ultimately, it's a low paid job. It's a very stressful job. It's uncertain in relation to what you're going to. It involves vulnerable people, adults and children. And, uh, you know, you're doing a your two person crew responding to an incident where you don't know the full details. You're then in a confined space for, as you say, long periods of time traveling with someone who's quite ill and quite unwell. That's quite an intense situation to be in by any standard of the imagination in anywhere around the country. So due respect needs to be given to those staff. And again, I say without absolutely fear of any contradiction, we do have the best uh, ambulance staff in the world uh, across all sectors. And it's an, in, in, it's an Irish thing. Um, it's an education thing and it's a compassion and, and, a, and a willingness to help as has been demonstrated day in and day out by many around the country so we need to give the tools properly and the resources and we, we're under resourced and you know I would say from a private perspective maybe the intermediate care transfers that are done between hospitals need to be outsourced to private companies to police those staff different duties but the National Ambulance Service has for a period of time had an, an obsessive compulsive disorder of not being private ambulance companies to do emergency calls despite us having ambulances that could be much nearer them and the serious questions need to be raised in relation to that and the ambulance service has hired private companies to do intermediate transfers over the last number of months during the winter and I believe it's worked exceptionally well and it's a massive development and a very welcome development in that regard so I think we need to look inward and outward in relation to solutions to help the public which is what we're all aiming to serve yes I run a commercial entity and a private company and make no apologies for that but I have the same licence, the same standards and the staff the same qualifications as the National Ambulance Service and we're here as a tool which is slowly being used by the Ambulance Service, the National Ambulance Service and it's very, very welcome. And finally, as within your own service or maybe just it is the National Ambulance Service, this was raised yesterday at the Oireachtas Health Committee. Uh, there was a number of assaults carried out on staff but also it seems there could be a staffing crisis on the way which is going to hamper the performance of the service in the future. And when you hear of situations like this and low pay, you can see why people aren't drawn to become a paramedic or even to then work within the ambulance service. Yeah, I think, look, any assault on frontline workers, uh, be they Gardaí, fire service, uh, medical staff or admin staff, needs to be met with the most rigorous and the most uh, aggressive punishment uh, that uh, the legal system and the court system can give. And I have no equivocation in relation to that. And it is incumbent upon government to introduce legislation that protects people uh, and frontline services. It's absolutely unacceptable that any such harassment or assault be levied at any admin staff in the country. And it, imprisonment is the only... 
um, solution to have some prevention in relation to that. Low pay, low morale, hard work. Like, let's be absolutely clear. Everybody in the admin service was flat out prior to COVID and exceptionally flat out since COVID, during COVID and post-COVID. There's no walking in the park having a cup of coffee during COVID for anybody involved in any admin service in the state, be they voluntary, public or private. Everybody's been flat out under immense pressure. Uh, retaining staff in all services, my own included, is very, very difficult. But for frontline staff, it is exceptionally difficult. And this has been an age-old problem, by the way, an age-old excuse, JP, in, 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 by the admin service for a long time. This is not something that just arose yesterday and there needs to be a bit of honesty in relation to that. Any barriers to retaining staff need to be removed and uh, respect needs to be given to staff first and foremost to the, from, from the National Admin Service. And the public deserve to know that when you dial 999 or 112 that you will get a, an appropriate response in a timely manner because your life depends on it. Yeah, very true for the moment, David. We'll leave it there. But thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thanks, JP. Take care. That is David Hall there. He's Chief Executive of the Lifeline Ambulance Service regarding those waiting times. A lot of people have given us examples over the course of the morning. JP, though, with you until one with Cork today. Bernie, taking your comments on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Shortly, we're going to hear how pharmacists say they can reduce the A&E backlog and indeed pressure on GPs if they were allowed to have more services like pharmacies do in many parts of the UK. We'll be speaking with pharmacist Sheena Mitchell shortly on the programme. And if you knit, you'll be interested in this. And if you don't, you will be too on how the Galway sheep nearly became extinct. But what did it do uh, to prevent it from becoming extinct? Well, it was uh, a group who came together in Galway along with local farmers. It involved a core company and more on that between now and midday. Also later in the show, we're going to hear from the residents of Summerhill North in the northern side of Cork City centre who are against what is new plans to bring a bus lane where they live which would see more or less their parking spaces being removed from the front of their houses. We've seen this in other parts of the city where front lawns or back lawns of homes, gardens that is either have been removed or were going to be removed and it was a big issue in Dublin about two to three years ago. Uh, We'll be hearing from those residents who held a protest last night later in the programme but a lot of calls and comments in on various issues. And at the start of the programme, we did hear and um, spoke with Adam Higgins, who's the political correspondent with the Irish Sun. And this is with regards to the, uh, for many, some are saying it wasn't a shock. For many, they are saying it was a shock that the co-leaders of, of uh, the Social Democrats, that they decided to step down yesterday afternoon. This, of course, Roisin Shortall and Catherine Murphy. Now, there is a leadership contest that will take place over the next uh, number of weeks, depending on what happens over the next number of days. And the party has four other TDs. And we know that there's Gary Gannon, who has more or less ruled himself out of going for the leadership. But then we have Jennifer Whitmore, Keno Callahan, and Holly Kearns, of course, the Cork South West Deputy for Social Democrats. And she is uh, tipped to become the new leader. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens over the next while. But on that, a lot of people have been reacting to to this. And first of all, Michael is in Castletambere. He feels that yesterday's announcement by the Social Dims was not really a great surprise. It is on the tracks for the last two years, feels Michael. But he says Holly Carnes has been in the front of most programmes in recent times and undoubtedly will be an odds-on front runner. It would give her a massive boost here in Cork Southwest. There will be interesting times to come. So sit back and watch this space, says Michael in Castletambere. WhatsApp on 0862 103 103. Text on the same number. 
And then uh, Jerry uh, says, well, it might have been a surprise to the public. It was no surprise to many within the Social Democrats party. This is their plan to keep the party active. While Damien feels if Holly Cairns becomes the leader of the Social Democrats, it will strengthen her Cork Southwest role. Fine Gael lost out last time in the election in 2020. Now Damien feels this time around Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael could lose out because if Holly is elected as the leader of the social dims it will strengthen her position within the party and give her a national profile and he feels that Holly will then retain her seat along with Michael Collins putting pressure on the two big parties uh, being Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael he says it'll be an interesting outcome whatever happens in the next number of days uh, will certainly change the future of the next election when it comes to politics in West Cork uh, says Damien on text to 0862103 103. And then we spoke with David Hall of the Lifeline Ambulance Service on those figures that were released on the wait times people have to endure while they are waiting for an ambulance. Just some examples that have come in uh, over the course of the morning on that. We heard some yesterday, more today. And this is from a person on WhatsApp who says, and this is only last year, back in October, on the 21st of October, they rang for an ambulance for their father. Now, they waited four hours for this ambulance to arrive. Uh, I'm not too sure where in Cork they are, but it's in a rural area of Cork. Uh, four hours, uh, when this eventually, when they rang, first of all, they were constantly being redirected to another call. And eventually, the ambulance did arrive and it did take their father to Cork, where unfortunately he later passed away. My sympathies to you on that. And they feel though maybe if things had been different, if the ambulance had arrived earlier, would they have had a different outcome? While the service is very good, it's getting the service seems to be the biggest issue. There is not enough being done about the lack of ambulances in rural Ireland, says this person on WhatsApp. And I think you're right. I think when you're within the service, it's fine, but it's trying to get access to our health service. Anybody who was within our health service uh, more than likely have been happy with the treatment and the service that they have received but it's getting into the health service is the big problem for a lot of people. Now there's many who are not happy with the health service also but um, it's getting in is, is a big issue for a lot of people and this is Martin who was in Mallow who says I was waiting three hours before the ambulance arrived to me last year. I'm in Mallow and the ambulance came from Mill Street uh, says Martin and a lot of people I know are asking the same situation uh, where they live. They have the ambulance service coming from different areas Another example here, and this is Joan uh, in the Bandon area. Recently, she had to call an ambulance. The ambulance came from Tralee. The ambulance was in Kerry and the call came into them when they were somewhere between Killarney and McCroom and ended up going to Bandon to bring her uh, to CUH in an emergency call out. We've heard over the years from people who uh, have eventually got an ambulance or drove their loved ones to CUH and have realised the ambulances that were waiting in CUH were just waiting for uh, to be called back to where they were from. But again, they get called into the, the city areas and then they get lost uh, as a not lost in the city but lost in the whole communication of they have to then go back from wherever they are in the city to uh, the city hospital and that takes away uh, from time of the ambulance being spent in a rural area. We also heard uh, from uh, I think it was a caller a few years ago on the show from Bandon who uh, took or his mother had a fall and it was an ambulance from Innes I think uh, that ended up taking his mother to CUH. Uh, So it just 
goes to show the ambulances can be really anywhere across Munster. And then if that ambulance from Innes is in West Cork, those in County Clare are without that ambulance, which means someone in Clare could be waiting for three hours and vice versa. And uh, it's something totally different that we were discussing a number of weeks ago on the show. And this is to do with home help workers. And a WhatsApp here asking, and we did discuss this and there may be or there is a problem I suppose regarding getting home help workers Uh, but this person says uh, when you hear of the HSC on about staff and they can't recruit staff uh, there are certain parts of Cork County where they have staff with very little hours the staff are willing to do more hours but they are not being given the hours, says this person on WhatsApp, who doesn't want their name mentioned for obvious reasons because they work as a home carer. And yes, we have heard that. I don't know. We, no one ever comes to the uh, conclusion of why, uh, if they had the staff, they don't give them more hours. Uh, but it is an issue only in parts of Cork where people are happy to work extra but can't get the hours. And then you have the HSE saying they are finding it tough to get staff. And a lot of the staff are saying it's due to the conditions that they face when they go to work or the low pay or maybe that situation where they get a job and they want more hours to receive more pay but they're not given hours but then you have a situation where people are looking for home carers to come into their home the home carers are there uh, but are not given the extra hours anybody in that situation let us know on why that is happening if anybody has a an idea of that 0818 103 103 Bernie taking your calls and a lot of people reacting to Bernard Moynihan the councillor who spoke with us earlier this is uh, changes to the planning system which could mean decisions that are usually taken here in Cork would now be taken centrally in Dublin it also means that uh, local councillors would have no say on the impact of planning and why a sign would be up for Cork County Council the councillors wouldn't be would not be able to get involved not that they can get involved anyhow uh, but still when it comes to the final decision if something is incorrect as in if uh, like the example they gave earlier if they're looking for footpaths and lights to be put uh, for a one-off house which is three miles for a town where then you have a situation that a housing estate can be built with no footpaths or lights that's sometimes where a councillor will intervene and say you know that doesn't make sense surely the housing estate should have the footpaths and lights to the housing estate rather than the one-off house having to comply with that rule. Uh, so many agreeing with Bernard. I think the majority of callers are saying they are afraid of what will happen is what happened with the uh, water service where Irish Water now run or Ishka Aaron uh, run the water service and a lot are not happy with the contact they receive from Ishka Aaron trying to get an answer from them and they feel if to, if it was a local service like that when the HSC was governed by health boards in different areas of the country like the Southern Health Board at the time it was better because local people knew the local areas and what was required local and many feel that's being lost now in the new water service and when it goes to a new planning service the same will happen. Uh, John saying, I totally agree with Bernard Moynihan. Uh, planners in Dublin will forget uh, the people in rural areas and forget how rural Ireland can be a lot different to urban Ireland, uh, says that person. Uh, this is John and Tech. Somebody else agreeing as well with Bernard on that to 0862103103. More calls and comments coming into us. We'll get to those across the course of the show. You can email always to corktoday at c103.ie. C103 job. 
Monster Labels and Mallow are expanding their operation and they require an energetic and enthusiastic machine operator. Full training will be provided. You can email your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And a fully qualified electrician is also wanted for the Cork City and County areas. Again, CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And O'Keefe's Super Value in Mill Street. They have vacancies for full-time and part-time bakers, confectionery staff and full and part-time meat counter staff. Ideal candidates should have experiences, but if not, training will be provided. You can email your CV to 392-millstreet-store at supervalue.ie. These jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash job you're listening to cork today on replay phone and text lines are currently closed want to know what's happening in cork you're in the right place this is cork today on c103 this is cork today on c103 email patricia now with your story or comment cork today at c103.ie Yesterday, we discussed the shortage of medicines and how that is sending some patients to hospital, putting further pressure on our health service. Now, pharmacists claim they can help solve the A&E backlog if they could provide further services in their pharmacies. And Sheena Mitchell is a pharmacist from Wonderbaba.ie and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Sheena. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. And you felt so strongly about this. You wrote to Antishuk to see if change can happen sooner rather than later, because you saw this scheme work effectively when you were working in Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. So back in December, I was just really aghast looking at the healthcare crisis unfolding in Ireland. And community pharmacists go into this work because we are passionate about healthcare and accessible healthcare. And I wrote saying to look at the UK model, look at what's happening in New Zealand and Canada, where pharmacists are given the legislative support to provide additional services. It's been working very well. And as I said, as you said there, I qualified in 2005. And as a newly qualified pharmacist in the UK, I was able to treat bacterial conjunctivitis with antibiotic eye drops and that kind of thing, even in children. Whereas here, you know, almost 20 years later, I'm still being restricted and we're not able to do our job to the best of our abilities, which is really um, a disservice to the patients of Ireland. And the services that could be provided here in Ireland from pharmacies, I mean, some of those would include dealing with people with minor ailments. And that is something uh, that is done in Scottish pharmacies anyhow. And is this under a scheme for there, which would be HSE here, but in Scotland, it would be under the NHS? Exactly. So it's basically all about triaging patients in the community. So reaching patients at, I suppose, the lightest level of care that they need and then referring patients into the GP service if it's needed and then into the A&E from there if it's required. So it just all basically works to solve the patient journey and the flow of patients through the healthcare system to make sure that the people who really need the clinical care of GP are able to access them. And for those who need 
emergency medical attention, that the A&E isn't blocked up with people, you know, with minor ailments that really shouldn't be there, that are only there because they can't access a GP. So what happens in the UK is the NHS support the pharmacies. So the pharmacists are able to, in essence, prescribe over-the-counter items. So here in Ireland, if a patient comes in to me and they are having an issue such as, you know, a flare-up of a skin condition or some pain or irritable bowel syndrome, and they're a medical card patient, I advise them and on the products that would suit and would help their symptoms. But because they're a medical card patient who maybe don't have the finance to afford the over-the-counter products, they then will go to the GP and look for a medical card prescription to cover the cost of that medication. And it's a complete waste of resource. We should be able to provide those medicines to patients on the medical card in the first place. And then the second element of this, which I'm going to avoid all the technicalities, but patient group directives is is what it's known as. But really, it comes down to enhancing the role of the pharmacist so that we can use our skills to help treat minor conditions with prescription-only medicines. And good examples of this, again, would be skin infections, pain, conjunctivitis, a very common issue in kids and even things for women like simple urinary tract infections and also at the rollout of a contraceptive. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Scheme in Ireland where we could provide contraception for patients as well. Because all of these issues do not require GP attention. And we have to ask ourselves if they don't require doctor attention in other countries. Why are we clogging up our system with, you know, I suppose appointments that don't need to happen 
you know, at that level where when they can be dealt with at a community pharmacy level. And really, I think I heard back from uh, Stephen Donnelly's office because Antisha Cleo-Vradker had forwarded to the Minister of Health. And I just had to laugh at some of the, <laughs> the responses. They talk about Sláinte Care and they value pharmacy so much and how it will play a vital role in future healthcare reform. And my message is simply tomorrow never comes. They say they're giving consideration to all the proposals that have been put in by the Irish Pharmacy Union. The Irish Pharmacy Union have been putting in these same proposals since 2014. So I can be excused for having little faith in their urgency on the situation. The minister says he's dedicated to delivering the right care in the right place to the right, you know, people in the right time, which is kind of a core value of community pharmacy. And unfortunately, we can see that that's a complete contradiction to the reality. The reality is that GPs are completely overburdened and currently they don't have the infrastructure to deal with our population's healthcare demands. Only 15% of our country's GPs are based outside urban centres. Whereas, you know, in Ireland, we have a community pharmacy within basically five kilometres of 85% of the patients. And in terms of the, the last thing, I suppose they said, they, they threw me a scrap in their response, which was, oh, don't forget, you know, we did change the legislation to allow pharmacists to administer certain medicines without prescription. And that basically allowed us to roll out the vaccine programme. And I just wonder who there should be grateful. It was community pharmacy pharmacies that vaccinated 45% of all children for nasal flu this year, 28% of all adults vaccinated for flu, and we've rolled out 1.3 million COVID vaccines. Like we are able to do our jobs, so just enable us to do it on a wider scale. And you wonder, did they just give you that uh, message back because at the time they needed people to be vaccinated during the height of the pandemic and they wanted people last year to get the flu vaccine. So was that just an easy opt out in the letter they sent to you? Uh, But in that letter, interesting, because while they mentioned all all what they are looking at doing and all the meetings they've had, we spoke earlier, Sheena, with David Hall uh, from Lifeline Ambulance, and he also felt that while there's a Rockness Health Committee's meeting on the delay to the ambulance service, they've been meeting and discussing this for the last nearly 10 years at this stage, nothing has changed. And when you mentioned the Irish Pharmacy Union looking for an expansion since 2014, I can see why you have no faith in this because you're not looking to replace the GP, but the GPs themselves, and they'll admit this, they're under so much pressure they can't get GPs to work in rural areas. So we can see a local practice closing and a person who was with them for years can't get a new GP while the pharmacy around the corner is there open and open seven days a week. And community pharmacists work really well with GPs. And in an ideal world, which is very achievable, we could have closer working relationships by liaising better because I think what's getting lost in the messaging here is the patient has to come first. Why is politics delaying patient care? GPs, you know, obviously they're extremely overburdened and their clinical skills are really necessary. And we need the GPs to be able to do their job in chronic disease management and more clinical consultations than pharmacists are capable of dealing with. We 
we're not trying to edge in onto their ground. We're trying to augment their role by ensuring that they're able to see the patients that they need to see. Like they don't need to be dealing with someone writing a medical card for, say, nicotine replacement therapy. You know, why does that why would that have to happen in a GP level to just so that the patient can on a medical card can access it? The system makes no sense. And the biggest frustration frustration for me is that like I wrote that letter to the Taoiseach outlining that this is something that could be rolled out probably within the ma- a matter of the month because I know the will from the Irish Pharmacy Union is there and we have a really robust and very good strong um, regulatory body which is the Pharmaceutical Society of Ireland and there is no doubt that they're capable of ensuring that we're working within the correct pathways. And what we're looking to do will include the oversight of a doctor in some situations for certain protocols. So as you said there, between the ambulance service and this, like meetings are all fine and well. But every time, you know, the pharmacists come out of a meeting, they think it's gone well. Yet suddenly years have passed and nothing has happened. And I just feel like maybe it takes one person to stand up and demand a bit more and just knock some common sense into the situation and go, act now. Like people are dying on hospital trolleys. People's disease states are deteriorating. People are going to need more investment in their health care in the future because of problems which have been ignored now. It's not acceptable for the people of Ireland. A solution has been provided and we just need to get it actioned. And I know you wrote to on Taoiseach and you got the reply back from the Minister of Health, Stephen Donnelly, because they obviously forwarded it on to the health department. Did on Taoiseach Leo Varadkar ever come back to you on this? No, nothing. nothing. And I have had and not, not a single whisper. And I've had a couple of other, um, you know, politicians get in touch. Yeah. And I thank for the very supportive. Actually, Ivana Bacic reached out and David Colnan spoke to me on the phone like there seems to be will in certain areas and everyone seems to think, yeah, this is a great idea. So I just can't understand why the dots aren't getting connected. Well, it's interesting because it isn't just that it's an idea that you yourself, but it's a good idea. You've worked with this before in Scotland and we're well aware that outside of Scotland, even in parts of England, it is a similar system. So they can surely see it works in Scotland and parts of the UK. So why, why not introduce it here? You know, it's not, it's not like you've come up with this system on your own. You've no. worked in it. You, you, you've had experience in this. Yeah, like the evidence is there to support this. And, you know, I think ultimately there is no logical reason. And I would go as far as to say it's medical negligence on the behalf of our government to ignore a solution to a problem which is causing such detrimental effect to patient health. Could you see why they don't want to do this here? Is there some reason that we're missing why they don't want to introduce this? And I've thought about that a lot. And I think historically, like I'm a third generation pharmacist. And while I qualified in in Ireland, my dad um, and granddad were pharmacists in County Roscommon. So I've grown up in community pharmacy. I think initially, maybe because we have quite a privatised sector health system compared to the likes of the UK, where the NHS um, runs, I suppose, much wider scope. Here we have private GPs, etc., I think initially maybe there was sensitivity around the role of the GP and fear of encroachment. But the GPs, if you look at their, and I've spoken to many of them, I've looked at their ICGP document, which is shaping the future. It's available online. And in that document, they go on to outline all of the challenges they're facing. And of course, they're trying to recruit recruit more members. And, 
you know, but the solutions to the GP's problem are a decade away. So I don't accept that, you know, we kind of mollycoddle every group at the detriment of patient care when there is no other solution that the infrastructure is currently in place in bricks and mortar community pharmacies all over Ireland for, you know, we, we shouldn't be delaying a decade to let the rest of the healthcare system catch up. Yeah. And we have no guarantee that it will. Yeah, very true. And I think you hit the nail on the head there when you mentioned the word private. Uh, have their concerns over a lot of the private groups that have grown in Ireland and are providing healthcare, very good healthcare, I must say. And without them, a lot of people would not get operations or procedures, but, uh, you know, it shouldn't go that way. And are they afraid uh, that these big services would maybe lose out? I don't know, but it's an interesting aspect of why they're not rolling this out for the moment. Sheena, we'll wait and see if anybody uh, decides to come back to you on this and will watch this uh, space for the next number of months. But hopefully not a years, but thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Take care. That is Sheena Mitchell there, a pharmacist and indeed runs wonderbaba.ie. And it would be fantastic because I have a lot of calls coming in from people who have seen this operation, other uh, jurisdictions, for the likes of, we mentioned the UK, but also America. And a a number of people are are highlighting that when they've been to the States. For example, Thomas in Bantry, when he was in the States, he said any of the giant stores had a pharmacy within them and you can get all sorts done. For example, uh, minor things even like blood pressure checks, heart checks, Uh, so you would not have to go to the doctor. Uh, Why can't this be done here? We just need to alleviate the pressure on our rural GP system, Uh, says Tom in Bantry. And there's others giving examples of when they go to other countries. Uh, So why can't we implement it here? Uh, Keep your views coming to us on 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And a lot of people have been getting in contact regarding their wait times for the ambulance service. I will get to those calls and comments too regarding uh, the pressures on our ambulance service. But a reminder that Premier League Live, it is back on C103.ie with Trevor Welch. It's this Saturday from 2pm, powered by TalkSport. And we'll bring you live coverage of Leicester City taking on Arsenal at 3, Bournemouth taking on Man City at 5.30, and as Crystal Palace take on Liverpool at 7.45. The Premier League Live, it's online with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. You can listen Saturday on the C103 app or go to c103.ie Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 0818103103 Did you know the Galway breed of sheep was formally recognised by the Irish state in the late 90s? The Galway sheep was officially listed because the breed was in danger of extinction but the Galway Wool Company they have been working to revive this Irish heritage and with farmers to make wool more profitable. So they have partnered with many companies and one of those is Stolen Stitches here in Cork and Carol Feller joins me from Stolen Stitches this morning. Good morning to you Carol. Uh, Good morning. Thank you very much for having me on. And likewise, thanks for joining us. This is a really interesting uh, story. First of all, just tell us about your own company there, Stolen Stitches. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm originally a knitwear designer. I would have started about 50 years ago, just beginning to design knitwear, then went on to do books. And the company kind of changed direction back in 2017 when I started my own yarn line. And from there, it's led into doing a lot of clubs and I also do a lot of knitting teaching. So a lot of our business would actually be international with like I'd say about 70 percent of it going to North America. 
um, where we kind of would introduce them to Irish wools and just knitting in general and workshops. So the, that's more or less what we do. Lots of different things, but everything knitting related. And then you got involved with the Galway Wool Co-op. And this is where we're going to talk about the big knitting club, because it's, it's such an interesting story, Carl. I mean, I wasn't even aware mm-hmm. that the Galway breed of sheep was recognised by the Irish state until I went researching this yesterday. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it was new to us as well last year because we've been working with um, uh, uh, Donegal Yarns for the last several years and they do some of our spinning of yarns for us. And we were up last summer and they started talking with us about the Galway wool that they're pulling in and they're actually spinning for the Galway wool co-op. And they handed us some and said, would you be interested in doing something with this? And at the time, because we were busy with other things, we kind of put it on the back burner and said, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll take a look at it. And over the summer, we started pulling it out and working with it. And it really is quite unique because it's, I suppose, it's when you think of more um, traditional, particularly very creamy wools that would be used for cable sweaters and iron sweaters. Galway wool is what it would have been made from because it's a very light, creamy colour. And then we kind of started talking about with Blona Gallagher from the Galway Wool Co-op. And the story was great. Just the fact that the co-op is only a few years old and what they're doing to revive the fortunes of this particular sheep is phenomenal. So we were really eager to be part of it and actually help them sell it because they're producing it. They're getting a, a good price for the fleeces for the farmers. But unless people are using it and it's getting out into the world, it's not going to keep going. So we, we kind of we came in at the, the other end of it, kind of doing our part to actually sell it and show it off to the rest of the world. And you mentioned there regarding the iron wool jumpers that a lot of people will be familiar with, not only here in Ireland, but across the world. While it's separate to that, it's a thick wool comes from the sheep or the Galloway sheep that can be used maybe to produce blankets or, or that sort of material. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's particularly it's not going to be terribly next to the soft skin uh, next to the next to the skin soft. So it's often good for um, for things like housewares, including blankets, which is where the idea for the blanket club came for us, because we thought it was going to make a much better use of it because the cables look really good in it. But it's not you won't necessarily want to wear it right next to your skin. Um, so the club we're doing then, it's going to have, it'll run for a couple of months and people will get patterns and video workshops for each section of the, each square of the blanket as they go along. So particularly good for people who maybe have the basics of knitting and they want to kind of jump in and relearn or learn new techniques to them and things like that, you know. Yeah, and the knitting club itself then, as this goes on, it will keep the heritage alive for the Galway sheep. Yeah. Absolutely, because I mean, a part of the project um, at the beginning, we actually went up to Galway to visit the farm up there and Blonde kind of talked through the whole process and, you know, and introduced everyone to the sheep. So we kind of I actually even did um, a vlog that we popped up on YouTube talking through the breed and letting her tell people about the story of it, really. And then it just I, people were very, very excited about the idea of being part of reviving this this heritage breed, you know. Yeah, and as I say, it's a story that a lot of people may not have been aware of. So it's good it's coming to the fore mm-hmm. now. And then for those who wish to get involved with the Big Knitting Club, I mean, how do you get involved if you, you were interested in doing so? Um, well, it kind of took us by surprise because we didn't realise how much interest there would be in it. <laughs> and the it actually sold out in 10 hours the first round through. 
and we got more yarn from it um, from the company, which actually ended up selling out last night. So it, it's oh. it's actually, <laughs> but there will be a second round. We'll probably, I think that their current clip we've probably exhausted. But basically, anyone who on the like on our website stonestitches.com, we've got um, a notify me button. So anyone who is interested, so if we get hold of more or re-release it kind of later on this summer, um, they'll know they'll be the first to hear about it. But it did it completely. It took us off guard because we we did not realize the level of interest there was in it. I mean, it's absolutely wonderful, but a lovely surprise. <laughs> yeah, I know we ran a scheme here a number of years ago as well. It was to do with knitting and you were knitting tops for for bottles, I think it was, and it was all going to charity. But the response was huge. Even when they finished, yeah. we were still getting packets in of people who knitted these little little tops or little covers for bottles in for many years afterwards indeed. And we did yeah. donate them to the various charities that were involved still. But this, there's a charity aspect to this because the money, some of the money raised from the wool, it's going to Jigsaw, who have of course do great That's work right. with young people yeah yeah no we were very we were really excited to include uh, a charity donation to the project as well so it's like there's a few different levels of the charity donation Donegal Yarns is donating um, a euro for every kilo that they sell then we're donating five euros for every blanket club that's going out. So at this point, there's like, I think it's about 1500 we'll be donating from that. And then when it's over the actual finished blanket that the three of us designers knit, we're going to auction that off for charity in July as well. So there'll be um, a triple donation basically going to um, to Jigsaw, which we're delighted about. Yeah, because they, they really do great work for young people oh, and yeah. indeed mental health within younger yeah. people in our own societies. And by the way, anybody who wants to take up knitting either with this wool or any wool. You have a fantastic website. I was I was looking at it yesterday and there's a lot of tutorials and there's a lot of different aspects if you ever wanted to find out about knitting uh, that you can learn off your website. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, I've been doing it for a number of years and it's definitely, it just keeps on expanding because starting off with patterns, I realized that people really needed a lot of support along the way and I started with small tutorials and over the last couple of years, we've actually morphed that into full project video um, project so every time I knit a new pattern I record the videos for each section of it so there's a full workshop for people who are new to some of the techniques or who need extra help along the way so it makes it way more accessible for people um, kind of getting back into it or learning new things as well you know Yeah it is indeed and if people want to check that out it's stolenstitches.com Carol for the moment uh, great to chat with you this morning it's a really interesting story and the best of luck with that project Thank you very much. I really appreciate having me on to, to talk with you. No problem. Take care. That is Carol Feller there, who is company founder at StolenStitches.com on what they are doing there. Great to hear uh, there's a charity aspect with the jigsaw, but also uh, to keep the breeze of the Galway sheep alive and well. C103's Summer Getaway. Let's head to Ross Carberry. Hello, Elaine. Hiya, Tom Paul. How are you? I'm fine. How are things in Ross today? Is the sun shining over you there? Oh, God, the sun is shining, yeah, yeah, at the moment. So it is lovely. Uh, that's good. Well, hopefully now the sunshine will continue to shine for you and it could be shining over you in Lanzarote. Um, have you been before? Not to Lanzarote. No, no, it's on the bucket list, like, but not to Lanzarote. Well, hopefully now we take that bucket list for you and we can qualify you to head there and you could be lucky enough to enjoy a week on in June. Are you free in June? Yeah. 
And you can enjoy seven nights in the Vic San Antonio, uh, which sounds really nice indeed, and enjoy the summer sunshine and the summer breeze, as the song goes in Lanzarote. I've got to ask you a question first, though, Elaine. So here is the question, and hopefully you get this right, because there's plenty of West Cork participants in the Olympics. Bush, in what city will the Summer Olympics of 2024 be held? Will it be A, Reykjavik, or B, Paris? Paris, as far as I know. Oh, you're correct. Was that a guess or had you kind of a... Yeah, because I had remembered something um, about Paris um, being on when they were bidding for it and I was saying, did I pick that up right or not? (laughs) (laughs) No, you did. In fairness, you did. Well done. You have qualified now. So listen out. Stay by the phone Friday afternoon because Nick Richards could be calling you, Elaine, and you could be leaving Ross Carberry and heading to Lanzarote in June. If you were uh, to win, who would you bring with you? Um... I'd say I'd have competition now between my two girls looking to go as well. (laughs) (laughs) What are your two girls' names? Emma and Amy. Okay, so they can fight so for (laughs) who they want to go along with (laughs) Mammy to the Lanzarote. Well, the best of luck to you, Elaine, and enjoy the rest of your day in Ross Carberry. All right, thanks a million. Take care. care. Uh, That is Elaine Hart there joining us from Ross Garbery. She is qualified. And stay listening. That song I played from the Isley Brothers, Summer Breeze. Nick Richards will play that again between one and four. And Martina O'Donoghue, who was driving you home from four, she also will play that song at some stage. And you could be qualifying like Elaine and possibly heading off and enjoying the sunshine in Lanzarote in June a fantastic prize and it will continue again next week but for this week it's all about Lanzarote here on C103 and well done to Elaine as I said more chances uh, to win later this afternoon by the way if you're a fan of uh, food if you're a fan of donuts Krispy Kreme uh, those big donut company uh, I think they're American but anyhow they opened in Dublin a number of years ago and there were queues out the door when they opened Uh, huge attraction they were when they started off initially. I think the queues have calmed down somewhat now. But I wonder will the queues happen in Cork because Krispy Kreme donuts are coming to Cork and they're going to arrive to Patrick Street in the city centre in April. Uh, so at least anyhow, it's a bit of a jobs boost uh, for the area. But also, uh, will we see those queues that people or that we saw in Dublin? We'll have to wait and see with some um, food news for you on a Thursday afternoon. Now, on the way, we are going to hear how a turtle yes a turtle made its way from Florida to the Irish coastline and is now currently in Dingle that's ahead and shortly how residents in Summerhill North uh, that area of the city uh, they were holding a protest yesterday and this is how the NTA that's the National Transport Authority uh, they're trying to what is currently a two lane roadway put an extra lane there and this is to facilitate buses and improve public transport across the city centre and city suburbs Uh, but as a result of that residents will lose out and we'll hear about that protest shortly on the programme but a lot of calls and comments in on various issues we've been discussing so far on the show and first of all to do with ambulances and I suppose the health service in general and we spoke with David Hall from Lifeline Ambulance and uh, the amount of times people are waiting for an ambulance as we heard on the show yesterday the stats uh, that we are enduring for ambulance times of over six hours one of the figures were for Cork and we always hear about ambulances that are in one part of the county when they should be in another part of the county. Well, here's a text in from someone who says, Hi JP, I got an ambulance last year and they waited with me in the hospital until I was seen. Now, 
There was other patients waiting also with this ambulance crew. So why can't they have a nurse to stay with the patients in the hospital until they're seen and let the ambulance crew be ready for emergencies and to go back out to their ambulance, which is something we discussed earlier, yes, and, and that continues to happen. And then what happens is the, that ambulance is away from the area it should be in. But also when they go back out, they get called to a situation nearby the hospital or in the city. And then that ambulance, which should be maybe in Beira, which should be in Newmarket, which should be in Yall or even outside of Cork, is in the city. And then going back again to that hospital and doing everything all over again and still out of action for where they should be. Uh, hence how the delays continue. And Mary saying, JP, my mum got knocked out last May. So we phoned for an ambulance and it took nearly an hour to come uh, from Canturk. Uh, they stopped outside our house. And as they were just about to come in, they told us they had to go again because there was an emergency case in Charnival itself. Uh, now, they didn't even call or check on my mum because the case well, it must have been a, a big emergency because they had to just go. So then we had to wait over an hour for an ambulance to come from Limerick. It's just not good enough uh, from Mary. Uh, well, Mary, first of all, I hope your mum was OK after that knockout she got. But yeah, and that is the, whatever the other case was, they must have deemed it a more severe case than your mother went of. But then you had to start it over again. And as you say, wait for an ambulance from Limerick and it's over an hour. And the worry that you had then, I mean, five minutes in a situation like that can feel like five hours, not a mind. A full hour waiting for the ambulance to arrive uh, from Limerick. And Finbar in Mallow, uh, he says, uh, hi, John. Paul, I've spoken several times about the health service issues and the system within our health service uh, over the years. And all my words now are coming to fruition because look at the past messers is what Finbar says. Inda Kinney, Eamon Gilmore and James Riley, and look at Hikwa and Professor Higgins. Now, while they're all gone away, uh, their reconfiguration strategies for our hospitals and indeed our ambulance service in this country is standing. And I said before, and I will say it again, because of this, our system is broken and it's worse and worse it is getting. Fimber says, I've been called a fool by people, but it's the educated fools are making the health service worse and people are dying from lack of care. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp, Fimber. And yeah, I mean, you're right. We all remember the reconfiguration. We all remember the protest that were happening outside hospitals. Uh, really outside Mallow General Hospital, there was a huge protest. There was also a massive protest outside Bantry General Hospital, along with hospitals in around the city as well. Uh, but I do remember, as you mentioned there, various names. I think it was James Riley was paying a visit to Bantry Hospital and there was a, a, a protest organised because people were not happy at the reconfiguration. There was changes going to happen to A&E at the time. Uh, they were worried at the outcome of the hospital. And because, like many things, there was no clarification given, uh, people were afraid that they would see those hospitals closed down. So we're fighting for further services. Uh, but I do remember when James Riley came, I think he actually left. I, I think he was due to visit the hospital, but because he saw a protest, did he leave and, and meet public reps elsewhere? Uh, because we were in touch with the department that day. We were trying to get to the bottom of what was happening. We were trying to get the uh, friends of Bantry Hospital or some group that were there uh, to meet James Riley at the time to deal with the situation and the worry that was across West Cork and indeed across other areas of Cork for various hospitals but because of the location of Bantry and the service it provides to far remote West Cork uh, there was a, a, a bigger concern and it 
I, th- I don't know, was it a PA or someone in the Department of Health? But I remember being told on the phone that time that we should not be pushing this. Why are we uh, getting involved in looking for the Minister for Health at the time to meet a group in Bantry? Uh, we are the local radio, so stick to what we do and don't be getting involved. And I remember having a big argument with whoever it was at the time, either a PA or, or someone in the HS. I know I think it was the Department of Health. It wasn't the HSC. In fairness, it was somebody in the health departments who worked with James Riley at the time, and uh, a real argument we had on the phone because they what we wanted was you know clarification. And as he was in Bantry to meet with those who were fighting for the services, who wanted to hear firsthand what was happening with those services, uh, but they they were not having that, and they could not understand why local radio would be getting involved in something like that. Uh, so uh, there was a huge, huge battle uh, at that time, Fembry, and, and you were right uh, to say that a lot of what was done then is having a negative effect now and the people did call it out at the time and while everything that was maybe due to happen did not happen, uh, there is a legacy there that has left our health system the way it is and it's not helping us going into the future. Thank you uh, for your WhatsApp, Fembry, in Mallow to 103. And we also touched earlier on the home health care system and those working for the HSE who would like to work longer hours, but the hours have been changed and why they keep hearing that the health department struggled to get home carers into the system. They are willing to work longer hours but aren't given them. So on that, a texter here saying uh, the privatisation of the care in the community is king at present. So privatising everything is really is what the uh, HSC more or less or the Department of Health is about. But this is a very expensive option, albeit the HSC is handing uh, the huge proportion of care in the community over and and one is wondering, do the HSC really mind what the outcome is for the frontline healthcare assistance or care assistance formerly known as home helps? Expensive because the private care provider gets in the region of 25 to 50 euros per hour from the HSC and the frontline carer gets 13 euros if they are well paid. Some earn the minimum wage. So why would the HSC want to line the pockets of for-profit companies, some being huge companies, and see the actual provider of the worker at the coalface with a low, low wage. And often they can end up paying much of the fuel, the wear and tear and time on the road, which is an essential part of our job. So for that lady uh, wondering why she isn't getting any hours, they are gone. And they're gone to the private providers at the cost of 25 to 50 euros an hour. It's a beggar's belief, uh, JP, says that person on text. And a lot of those figures are out there as well in the domain. So it's it's what is more or less happening, I suppose, to a lot of the sectors in this country. Privatisation is coming down the line and has come down the line over the last number of years. But for uh, the home helper who was on to us earlier, one of the reasons could be what that texter has outlined and thank you for your text and then staying with that within the health service Mossy who has been listening to the various people we've spoken to across the show this morning and indeed into the afternoon at this stage Mossy says listening to your guests on the radio between Irish water discussion the Umbor Planola and the HSC it's these civil servants who hide behind ministers of departments making crucifying decisions it's those civil servants should be held accountable and not not the ministers we never hear from the civil servants who do have an impact and do really make those decisions but it's the ministers will get the hiding on air uh, says Mossy and then heating and this is to do with uh, those who were heating their homes 
And we had a call, I reckon it was about three or four weeks ago, from someone who transformed their home and brought in the heat to pump system, thinking they were doing right for the environment until they got their electricity bill. And it was over €800. Euros. Well, on this uh, text was saying, I see all the people now with these fancy heat pump systems are now paying the piper for this fancy so-called environmentally friendly heating system with bills well over €1,000 in a lot of cases. If these people get electric cars as well, how are they going to pay these sort of bills? My bill approximately is around €200 in the two months. I have no fancy heating system. I only wood burn stove. Wood burning stove is what you have. And people will then have to go back, this person feels, to reality and stop listening to the likes of Eamon Ryan and his equals. With the government's €600 credit, this person says that they won't have to pay any electricity bill until June because of them sticking with the basics with their wood burning stove and watching the electricity use whereas they feel sorry for those who decided to listen and go down the road of heat pumps and now their bills are over €1,000. Thank you for your text to 0862103103 or you can call us on 0818103103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. Trevor Sexton and Ger O'Donnell, they play in Gagan Community Hall. That is going ahead tomorrow evening, Friday at 8 o'clock. Tickets are priced at €20 Euros with proceeds in aid of Gagan Community Hall. And bingo in Mallow GAA Complex. That's going ahead tomorrow night at 8.15pm. The jackpot there is €5,100. And all funds raised from the bingo goes directly to the running of Mallow GAA teams for the year. And Wheeling Amateur Dramatics, they're holding a variety show in aid of Mealing Hall and in aid of Mealing Amateur Dramatics. It's going ahead tomorrow night and indeed on Saturday night. It's starting at 8.15pm. Tickets are €10 and you can get those from Quinlan's Bar, Cattle Shop or the Post Office in Newmarket or indeed from any cast member. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie And on the heating pump systems that our caller said earlier that were costing a lot of people a lot of money and we did hear from those a number of weeks ago when the electricity bills came in they had those type of is it heat to water systems and they felt their bills were a lot higher than they would have been without that system well Martin in Formoy is different he says we have one of those heat pump systems and I can tell you we don't have big bills so that person on there about big bills needs to do some investigating of his sort of heating says Martin in Formoy so maybe it's the way it's installed I'm not too sure because we had a lot of you're the only one so far, Martin, who hasn't, who has low bills with this new system. The majority, about three weeks ago, were felt anyhow their bills were higher, uh, but also that person was on to us those that he knows in and around him and family members who went that way also have high bills touching €1,000 so uh, is it the way it's installed is it different systems or is it different systems totally I'm not familiar with the whole thing but um, according to Martin his bills for his electricity have not got large with the system they have and they have a heat pump system in their house so uh, let us know if if you have gone down that route if you have changed your house uh, heating system to one of those heat to water systems 
systems or heat pump systems let us know uh, how your electricity bill is the majority feel it's increased but Martin is in a different situation his haven't gone up so uh, maybe it depends on the system I'm not too sure let us know now Jane our vet not with us today so we won't be taking questions but we will be hearing about this turtle who made its way from Florida to Ireland that's to come before one first though residents in the Summerhill North area who were opposed to new traffic lane plans in their area held a protest last evening. Summerhill Residents Association say the National Transport Authority is trying to shoehorn three lanes of traffic through one of the best preserved and most historic parts of the city. Now, residents here include those living in Ballyhooly Road and they are also concerned that footpaths will be made narrower and that on-street parking will also be removed. Well, these residents spoke yesterday afternoon to our news reporter, Marie Tuig, who attended that protest. As you can see, the traffic's very busy here already. So what they're proposing is uh, getting rid of the on-street parking and putting in a bus lane. And then to squeeze that in because the road's very narrow, they'd have to reduce the footpaths. So the people who live here, we would have, have difficulty. I mean, it's a very popular footpath. It's used as one of the main arteries into town. It would become unusable, really. And also, we'd have nowhere to park our cars. So people living in the area would have no, no parking. It would change the people who could live here. So at the moment, we've got a nice community. It's mixed. It's young people, old people, people with children, people with disabilities. But if you have a community where there's no car parking and there's no pavements, no viable pavements, it really reduces what kind of mix you can have living here. And we think that's really a big issue. I'm wanting to put three lanes in here. I know the residents association are looking maybe just have traffic going one way in the bus lane. Do you think that the NT are listening? No, they said, well, originally, I mean, when that was proposed and we were saying they could do one way in this way and one way in Wellington Road, and they really fixated on Wellington Road. They said you couldn't have a bus lane on Wellington Road because of the hill going up. Um, but they never really considered this in isolation, that we could have just a one lane of traffic here and one bus lane. And we'd be very happy with that. I mean, we think that would be fine. We think you can't cram three lanes of traffic in. You need to reduce something. And what they're offering to reduce is the footpath, which, you know, and they call it a sustainable transport corridor, but it just seems crazy. And, and you know, then they say, oh, sometimes the bus lane could be used for parking. But once you introduce a third lane of traffic, it will become, you know, five years down the line, it'll become another lane of car traffic. We all want uh, sustainable public transport. What we don't want is that there are three lanes of traffic shoehorned through an architectural conservation area. What we would like is that there was one designated bus and one layer of traffic, or as somebody just suggested here, it was no true traffic at all during certain areas and only public public uh, transport but also the houses which not one not the house i'm living in we can park at the back but all the way down the south of this uh, hill they're built on a hill they have no rear access if they if the car parking is taken away from those vulnerable houses the families inside them won't be able to have a sustainable life they won't be able to bring somebody to hospital get deliveries do anything saying there's a bus outside the door won't work well we we're really kind of horrified by it because the, there are two pavements here and existing wise there's two lanes of traffic it's quite tight it's hard enough to manage crossing the roads with with the twisty road without adding a third lane in and reducing the size the width of the pavements and as you can see the pavements are really busy people really use these they're walking up and down to work walking in and out of town here's here's loads of people on the bus so it's 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 reducing it seems to be contrary to the whole objective
We would have seen the proposals last August hugely affecting the Ballyhooly Road because the parking was going to be moved from one side of the road to the other side of the road and we've about 85 spaces at the moment for residents and about half of those were going to be removed. So we did form together as a group and we really did come together and we voiced our opinions on this, stressed the importance of residential parking. Never against change, not against the buses, um, not against people commuting and not against cycle lanes, but not at the cost of residents parking. We're homeowners, a lot of us. This is where we live. This is our community and we have to park our car somewhere. It's as simple as that. So the bus connects were great. They were very engaging. And we were delighted and we engaged with an engineer as well. A lot of work went into this now, to be fair. And um, Bus Connect did, they, they did listen to us and they said, look, they're not going to move the parking across the other side of the road. It wasn't feasible, you know, with the footpaths and everything like that. And from St. Luke's Cross to Dillon's Cross, which would be our kind of patch, there was no room for a bus lane anyway. So, look, we were fortunate in that regard, but we're hugely concerned about the cross, the community, Summerhill. Residents of Summerhill North, along with those in Ballyhooly Road, concerned at those proposed changes, speaking yesterday evening at a protest they held to our news reporter, Murray Tui. We'll wait and see what happens there. It is a big issue in many parts of the city. I know on the south side of the city was uh, an area where people were, I think there's Wilton Road in that area, Magazine Road, uh, fighting for their gardens, while other areas lost some of their gardens uh, over the years. And we've seen in Dublin how a lot of communities have changed totally and losing front lawns and back lawns due to this Bus Connect scheme. Uh, so we'll wait and see what happens and I'm sure it'll be a fight and many communities will be trying to make over the next one. I still think it's amazing that in county towns they are expanding the footpaths. Uh, many of them have been expanded so much that traffic can't get around tight corners where in an area of Summerhill North where you have a lot of people walking and using that footpath it's quite a busy footpath because you're more or less in the city centre uh, just up, up upon, uh, beyond uh, McCurtain Street and because of you have people getting uh, buses the footfall in the city for people walking in and out to work, uh, then they're going to reduce the size of that footpath, which, as I say, is a busy used footpath. So reducing the size of that, but expanding the ones in county towns, it just seems strange that you would expand footpaths that maybe are not used as much and then reduce those that are used. It just can't get my head around that. Anyway, it's happening. So not much more. Well, it's trying to be <laughs> trying to happen. The residents may not let it happen. We'll wait and see what is happening. What is happening, though, next is we're going to hear about this turtle uh, who is making its way from Florida uh, and has landed to our coastline here in Ireland. Now it's currently in Dingle. We'll hear how that happened. But just before we go to that, a lot of comments in regarding the heat, air to water system I mentioned a while ago. Uh, and some people are noticing high build because of that. Some people uh, are actually noticing the, the same type of bill. Martin was saying he noticed no difference and uh, is saying that we had that new system, the air to water and the bill is not as big as what we thought it would be. Uh, what made a difference was insulation in the attic and walls. They made a huge difference to the heating system. Thank you, Anna, for that. So maybe that's what's making the difference, the insulation along with the new system. And also uh, another person here, this is Jim, who when we spoke about the electricity companies uh, earlier in the week and then that earlier caller who said they're paying 200 euros for two months of electricity, Jim is wondering who is that person with for electricity because their bill is 285 euros a month and they really watch what they use with their electricity. Jim feels we're paying too much uh, for electricity in this country. And also another Jim is making the, the point a lot of people are picking up on this on the footpath 
saying it sounds crazy making a footpath narrower to put in another lane of traffic. And what about health and safety? And then you see them widening footpaths in the likes of Mill Street and Newmarket and other towns and they're making it difficult for drivers at junctions, especially lorry drivers and arctic drivers who cannot now get around those junctions. It sounds like two extremes to whatever they are doing, says Jim. And I think a lot of people agree with you on text or WhatsApp. 0862103103. Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. And just a final few comments. First of all, on the air to water heating, this person saying she's on her third year of this system. My bills have gone up as unit price has increased, but all I have is an electricity bill. No gas, no oil or coal. My bills are still half of those who have both electricity and additional heating bills and my house is warm 24-7 so still I would very uh, first of all it's very economical but I would really highly recommend this system for those who are thinking of going on the air to water heating system and then on what's happening in St Luke's and the Summerhill North and Ballyhoury Road area of Cork City a person saying here on text first of all it's a disgrace what the Cork City Council are doing to St Luke's and the Ballyhoury Road area is the most beautiful part of the city why would they do this to this area would it do it in the south side is what this person is asking what well, it is happening in many areas of the south side of Cork City as well this is a residential area and it shouldn't be a main thoroughfare what do they want to do go live in the awful sprawling housing estates or for us even to go live in the awful sprawling housing estates outside of the city or stay where we are I love Cork City it's a very lovable city and it's a very walkable city but doing this is not correct and another person saying I agree with your caller about the footpaths uh, since Covid the council seemed to have started this process with bollards and then erecting and denying parking places uh, planning rules seem to be gone out the window for business people and then we have these kind of marquees and street corners fenced off it's just wrong says that texter and there's more coming in regarding those we'll get to those on tomorrow's show Bush I want to move to uh, something that has come to light yesterday evening and this is how a tiny loggerhead turtle had been described as an absolute miracle because this turtle uh, was washed up on an Irish beach thousands of miles from home. He seemingly left Florida and landed here in Ireland and Kevin Flannery joins me from Dingle Ocean World. Good afternoon to you, Kevin. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on. And thanks for joining us. Is it unusual, I presume it is, for a turtle to make its way across the Atlantic? Well, we have got them down through the years and they have been. An odd one would get washed up here uh, most of the times we find that they're dead and uh, there's a, a pr- professor in UCC Dr Tom Dial there he has set up a turtle place and we're looking at where they're coming from but 99% of them I believe are coming from Miami because basically they hatch out in the Gulf of Mexico and the young hatch out and they run down into the sea and then they stay um, they spend a few years in the Saragossa weed off of Miami there but obviously, we all hear about the great storms they have in the Caribbean and coming into the States, and they get pushed too far north. Now, being a reptile, you see, they need warm water because they have to go up above 20 degrees, their internal organs, before they start working. But when they get pushed too far north, they're tiny. I mean, you're looking at this chap is less than a foot in size, and they get pushed too far north, and they go into what they call a cold shock. Now, all along the east coast of the States, you have various aquariums and places that collect them in their hundreds and bring them back down to Miami. But sometimes they get pushed across the Atlantic. 
and very few of them survive. I've been collecting them for 30 years, and we get an odd one every second year that has survived that people now are beginning to realise, and they ring us and call us, and we go collect it. And we hydrate it after coming out of the Atlantic. We have a methodology developed now, and we have saved them. And thankfully, this chap, Kroger, which is the Gaelic for brave, that the local family up in Belmoli picked him up, the uh, Cormac Derosha and his family were out on the 12th and they seen him upside down on the rocks up in Belmullet and they brought him in and we were contacted through various people and we brought him straight down. I drove up for 12 hours and brought him back down and we have him and he's swimming and he's eating and coming around gradually. And the fact that he survived the waters within the Atlantic and landed in Mayo, does it show that our waters are getting warmer? Not necessary. It's just that went into cold shock and virtually he was anaesthetised and mm. obviously we had prevailing winds that strongly pushed him across. He was floating on top of the water and got pushed in. And we do get an odd one. I think there has been three in Mayo this year, but two of them were dead and we only have this one alive. But fair dues to him for surviving and for the people that got him. And he is, he is uh thriving hopefully now at this stage and the game plan will be with the Irish Naval Service or with Aer Lingus or Ryanair when they're going back down to the Canaries because there's a hospital in the Canaries and once he's ready then they release him back into his natural habitat of warm water down there. So he's with you at the moment in Ocean World oh, in, in Dingle and you're looking after him there and as you said he, he's swimming away yeah. and, and the plan is that he will be released back in t- to his own oh, yeah. native waters you won't keep him there no. No, we won't keep him here. We have one loggerhead because that got its flippers bitten off or chopped off or something and it wouldn't be, it'd go around in circles and wouldn't make it back because usually their life cycle is the female goes ashore, goes up on the beach in the Gulf of Mexico, puts the eggs into the sand, then they hatch out, they go out into the Saragossa weed, they live a few years there, then they drift across to the Canaries they spend their teenage years where a lot of fellas would like to spend their, our people would, but then they drift down with the Canarian current and back to the Caribbean and they're about uh, 22 or 24 years old before they get back there and the female goes ashore again to lay her eggs. So that's their life cycle. So what we intend doing is holding it until it puts on enough weight, until it's strong and then either the Naval Service or Aer Lingus, as I say, or one of the airlines would fly it back down to the Canaries for us and we could release it back to its natural environment again. And when you're that's holding the it there plan. then in Dingle, I mean, how do you, what, what, what does the turtle eat, first of all? I mean, how, how do you feed a turtle? I know you have we plenty have of reptiles spe- there, yeah. so you're, you're used to that, I suppose. Yeah, we have, well, down through the years, we have developed a methodology and uh, currently it's eating between mussels and squid because we obviously we're feeding the other turtles and other reptiles, but we're, we're giving it squid and some strong, how would you say, uh, vitamins as well to build it up because it needs all this after being... This is a fantastic journey. It's after undertaken, uh, obviously, against its wishes, but for it to survive and come all the way across the Atlantic and be only a foot in length, it's more than brave. And it's fantastic that we're able to keep it alive. And I have to give credit to the family above in, in Bell Mullet that got it, and also to the aquarium there in Ackle, Terence Devon, because they collected an Ackle up in Bell Mullet, brought it as far as Ackle, and I didn't collect it and brought it down. So. Uh, fair credit is due to everybody involved that yeah. when they come across these strandings it's vital that they just put it in a box cover it with a damp towel and call us straight away because 
we have to give hope to it because they're under enough stress worldwide. I mean, they usually eat jellyfish and we grow jellyfish here so that he'd be quite happy. But their problem is they can't distinguish between the jellyfish and a piece of plastic. And 90% of the dead ones we're getting would have ingested plastic in the ocean. So they are under that problem as well as their nesting sites are under threat as well because people are building condominiums and holiday homes. And when they hatch out, they go for the light and they think the light of the moon, but it's actually roadways and that kind of thing. So they're a species under severe, severe threat. So we got to help them whenever we can. Yeah, indeed. Well, well done to you there for the work you're doing with all those various species and, and, and the various uh, aquariums across the, not only here in Ireland, I suppose, but across the world. But first of all, before I let you go, Kevin, it's been a good season last season, it would seem, for tourism in Ireland, anyhow, and for, for West Cork and West Kerry, maybe as well, and, and various parts of, of, of Ireland. A lot of staycations. I was in uh, Ocean World and Dingle last summer and it, it was busy. How are things going for you? Expecting another busy tourist season? We are expecting another, but we have a fantastic thing coming up this year. And it's one of the a new thing we're seeing because obviously we, we've lost the, the famous dolphin and dingle fungi. But what we're developing here is a new immersive experience. And we're developing this. We've seen it. Uh, it's one of the few places we've seen it in Japan and Korea so that you don't have to capture whales and dolphins. You get surrounded by them in this new immersive and augmented reality experience that we're developing here for this summer. So hopefully around Easter time, we hope to have this developed. So you will people will be able to get eyeball to eyeball with the great whales, the humpbacks and the dolphins and all the deep water species I've been collecting with the last 40 years. So it's a new experience this year. But it's the first marine um, immersive experience in Ireland. And it's something new, but it's something novel and it's something people will enjoy, I think. Yeah, I think it will. It'll be, it's, it's totally a, a new experience. I think that that's one of the first in Ireland. Will it be, Kevin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If not the first in Ireland or the UK, we are the first to develop this. And we're developing with an Irish company. We've seen it over in, uh, down in Florida and those places, but we're the first to do it. And uh, we, because Ireland has a very good animation people, working in animation and that kind of thing, I thought it was only right. And we got a very good company uh, in Dublin and they are developing it with us and they're developing the species that I've been collecting and Going eyeball to eyeball in an immersive experience with our great whales will be something else. It will be indeed. I was in an aquarium many years ago in Melbourne uh, when I was there and there was a similar type of setup and it is just such an experience when you obviously can't do it in, well you can sometimes if you go diving but more than likely a lot of people yeah. won't so it's a huge experience especially for younger children as well they get a kick out of that. So best of luck with that oh, Kevin yeah. and thanks for joining us on the show Not this afternoon. It's great. Thank you Take very care. Much. Thank you very much. Kevin Flannery there uh, from the well-known Ocean World in Dingle on that turtle who gladly is doing well after his trip from Florida uh, to the coastline in Mayo now uh, with Kevin and the gang there in the Dingle Ocean World and we uh, wished him well with that new venture and indeed we wish the turtle well as well. Uh, that's it for today. Uh, final few comments in. Uh, Jim, uh, regarding that conversation on the turtle, he thought that they would have kept this turtle in Dingle and that it could be a new attraction like Fungi was uh, but he may not survive as that is not his uh, natural habitat well no they're not doing that Jim but yeah they'll, they're trying to look for something to replace Fungi and they'll I'm sure will do like what Kevin is doing they'll find more over the coming years thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced we'll chat to you tomorrow from 10 I'm John Paul McNamara Here's a cool fact A crocodile can't stick out its tongue Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.